football game. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. The throw rainbows it down the right side for Kyle Pitts. He's got it. He's there. Touchdown. Oh, my. Oh, my indeed. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sports Bits Podcast with Moko here to talk about all things Florida Gators football and Boston Celtics. Just Boston Celtics for now, but also just a quick note for the uh, Florida side. Congrats, Dan Mullen, on the contract extension that apparently was signed a year ago. But we didn't know about it, of course, until you know we had to, this freedom of information, information thing that came out and that allowed us to learn about the contract extension. So, yeah. You know, congrats to him. Hopefully he'll do well, and that'll hopefully tie, um, be able to attract some recruits in for, you know, future years because he's guaranteed, you know, there for the next three years and hopefully de- develop those guys and te- entice those guys to come there, get developed for the, all, their whole four years there at Florida. But, yeah, on the Celtics side, there's a lot that happened, and, of course, sadly, Reed and James could not make it today. So just me r- riding solo today, but there's a lot to talk about. We have breaking news out of the Celtics front office that – uh. Danny Age retires and steps down as the GM of the Boston Celtics. And Brad Stevens actually gets promoted as the uh, president of basketball operations at, uh, at the Celtics. And then that means, you know, the GM spot and the head coach spot is vacant there. Uh, I mean, my quick thoughts on that, you know, congrats to Brad Stevens. That's great for him. Uh, you know, Danny Age, I've had my critiques. You know, you don't know, may not know him because I may not have said him publicly in the podcast. But I think he was a good GM. He was able to draft well. He drafted, of course, Brown and Tatum. And a few guys like Payne Pritchard, of course, and Aaron Neesmith, which I've always preached, and Robert Williams, of course. You know, he's a little bit of a project. It took two years to develop him, but now he's a really good starting center for us. So I think he did all right with drafting-wise. You know, he has some bust draft. You know, like I guess you can say Romeo Lankford's a bust, but I, I don't know. Again, with the drafting, is okay. And I think some of the moves he made – the one thing I think a lot of people critiqued him on was that he was not uh, very – I guess ballsy, I would say, when it comes to signing players and making aggressive trades. And, you know, that would suck because I know we there were some rumors that uh, we were going to try to trade for AD, you know, try to trade you know, Tatum or Brown to get AD on, on the team and be a one-year rental to get a championship. I don't know. That would have been a ballsy move. I don't know what my opinions are on that now after realizing that we wouldn't have too much of a squad with to support AD, but also AD would probably leave and go to the Lakers anyway. So maybe that wasn't really a trade they could have they could have done. But, I mean, overall, he is an okay GM. I think he was good for what he was, and, you know, he drafted well enough to get us where we are. And I think the main thing that made the Celtics good was Brad Stevens and his coaching and being able to develop young players. You know, he had that college experience of developing young players and understanding talent and how to utilize them. So that's what he did with the Celtics, and now he's doing really well. He did really well with it for the past how many years. So, you know, to wrap up the Danny Ainge stuff, he was a good GM. I'm I'm great. He, you know, he I heard, apparently I heard he had a heart attack like a year ago. I didn't even know about. I mean, I probably did know about. It. I probably forgot about it. But he had a heart attack a year ago on the job, and I think all the stress and stuff of being like the Celtics GM is really you know torn, torn him you know limb from limb and all his brain, all his mental fortitude down, and now he has to retire, which is understandable. But you know, congr- uh, you know, you know, good run for G uh, for Danny H to win a championship as a player and as a as a you know front office guy. Good for him, but now let's move on to what the future holds for the Celtics, which is Brad Stevens as the president of basketball operations for the Celtics. So first thing uh, we need to talk about is that the GM spot and the coach spot is now vacant. And this is what actually scared me because I didn't want Brad Stevens to either leave or move to a different position just because he's a great coach. Unless I mean, I want to go over his, ac- his coaching acumen real quick on the Celtics side at least. He's made three Eastern Conference Finals. 
and made multiple semifinals, and he's brought brought us to the playoffs constantly as the, as the coach of the Celtics. You know, he had the, the run from 2016 to 2017 and 2017 to 2018. Both were uh, playoff Eastern Conference Finals uh, runs by uh, the Celtics. Let me double-check that. Yeah, he lost in the finals against LeBron in 2016, and then uh, or 2017, then 2018 uh, playoffs. He lost to the to the Cavs and LeBron again. So he lost to two LeBron teams, which is understandable, especially when LeBron was on the Cavs in his prime with with Kyrie and Kev, Kevin Love. So understandable why we lost. But also we had the Eastern Conference Finals last year in the bubble, which is, you know, I've had my bubble talks of saying like, you know, the bubble is not as hyped up as it as it should be because I didn't think the bubble. I thought the bubble was a fluke because we had the Miami Heat in the finals. That I mean, I mean that Heat team was great and all, but I wouldn't think that was. I wouldn't think. It had much weight, and that's also why I critique on LeBron saying that he won a championship in the bubble, saying it was harder. I think it was easier just because his, the teams he had to face were a lot easier. He didn't have to face the Clippers. He didn't have to face the Bucks or the Sixers in the finals. So that was like my thing. Is It's not that the bubble environment – of course, the bubble environment made it harder. Like I'm going to like finalize my take on this. The bubble environment was harder itself. But the teams he had to face in the bubble were not as hard or not as like difficult as it could have been for him for his championship to make it actually worthwhile. And like that's the two things I would say: environment and then the teams he had to face. So that's why I don't give LeBron credit for the bubble, and that's also why for the Celtics, I don't really give credit to the Eastern Conference Finals in the um, in the in the in the bubble. Of course, they beat the Sixers. You can say what you said. I think there were some players injured. I am not. I'm actually going to look at that right now before I say anything because I don't remember who was injured during that series. And I don't want to I don't want to say anything dumb over that because that would be really bad. Let's see. So, yeah, there was an – yeah, all the all the key players – actually, no. The key players aren't what – yeah, yeah, Ben Simmons was injured. That's what it was. Ben Simmons was injured. So, yeah, I guess you're playing a partly depleted Sixers team. And then you had to face the Raptors. You know, they were good, but they didn't have Kawhi, so I don't count it. It was to game seven. Raptors were still good. I think Pascal Siakam had his best year in the bubble. So, you know, you could say that was difficult, and then you had to face the Heat, which was they were on a streak in the in the bubble. So we lost to that, and, I mean, it was tough. And, again, I, I think the bubble's a fluke, regardless of what most people say. But, yeah, I mean, that's he brought us the three Eastern Conference Finals and brought us some multiple uh, playoffs. So multiple playoff, you know, contention uh runs to the semifinals whatever losing to the Bucks for example in uh 2018-2019 and uh you know it's not I think he's a great coach. You know, I I I put I put a few I had a few criticisms about him. Uh and then I realized looking at the research, like researching him like it's funny enough you have these like preconceived notions about players and coaches etc and then you actually do research on them and you realize how good they were. So, and of course it's my coach and I didn't do enough research clearly because he's actually a really good coach. And now the basketball, the head of the ba- uh, basketball operations at the Celtics. And moving on with the basketball operations side of it, I don't know who's going to hide for the GM or coaching staffs. I, I really don't know because we're losing uh, two debatably good people at, the, at those positions. And I don't know who could fill the role because currently on the NBA side, there's not really anyone I would want to hire <clears throat> unless you want to steal Tom Thibodeau from the Knicks. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's odd the Knicks are giving up Tom Thibodeau, but point being is that there's no one I see as valuable, you know, hiring right now, coaching and GM wise, to, you know, to fill the role on the Celtics side. 
And, you know, you also have news like recently Coach K actually retired on the du- uh, uh, from the Duke Blue Devils. And, you know, earlier this year, Roy Williams retired from UNC. You know, those are the two people I do respect in, in the college scene. So, you know, it's interesting seeing all these retirements and stuff this year. And that means, you know, also more more roles to fill at other places. So that means more of those coaches that potentially could fill the role at, in the Celtics are being filled other other places that have a little bit, I guess, a little bit more prestige, especially at Duke of all places. So again, my last comment about that: I don't know who's gonna who's gonna get signed, who's who the next coach and who the next GM is gonna be. We'll see what the reports say. We'll see what Woj uh, Woj said because Woj did come out with this report uh, this morning. Yeah, with uh, this morning and along with the Coach K report this morning. So sad to see him go, but overall, you know, good for Brad Stevens to gain the role. I'm I'm happy for for Danny Age retiring at at the way he was. I mean, he ended. I think he he built this team from what from the ground up and is happy to have a good one last run before he retires as a, as a GM. So that's good for him. But yeah, the next thing on the Celtics side, of course, is being eliminated by the Nets in five. My first thoughts is it was really sad to watch this team play. It was really just grueling because I did not watch the win. I actually never watched game three. I actually watched game one, two, and I was at game four live at TD Garden, and I watched game five. So I watched all the losses. I didn't even watch the win. So it was really sad to <laughs> see my Celtics play all the, all the all the games that I did watch because they were all losses. But my initial thoughts was game one because I'm gonna let's start with game one for example. Game one, the first half got me really hopeful that the Celtics could bring it to a game seven or even win just because how well they were playing offensively and defensively. Like all the key points I said in my preview on the podcast, they executed really well in the first half of the of the first game. Then the second half came, and it all went downhill from there. Game two, we lost. Game three, we won. I think the Kyrie chances probably threw Kyrie off and everyone else on the Nets off, and they adjusted on game four when I was there. And, they, of course, they blew us up by 15. And then you had, of course, game five, which is the closing, you know, I guess the closing, uh, I guess, hurrah, hurrah from the from the, uh, from the Celtics to just lose. And by how much? I don't remember because it was just that terrible of a game. Uh, 14. Yeah, so double-digit losses on all of our games that we lost, except for game one, I think. No, that, no, that was a nine-point loss, so basically almost a double-digit loss. And it's just hard to see. You know, I, I thought we could put up a fight, and it didn't help that Tatum look injured, looks injured half of, the, half of the time, and Kemba's injured, of course, and then Robert Williams got his, has toe injury, so he's on and off, so it didn't help that we weren't, we weren't fully healthy, but you have to understand that People get injured, and you have to work around that. So I think Brad Stevens did a good job for what he could have done. And he, I remember he said a quote after Game Four: "Is like he everything he schemed, the Nets just played better just because of that big three again. Harden, I, Kyrie Irving for how much Celtics fan completely harassed and harangued him the whole time he was at TD Guard, and of course Kevin Durant, the top a top three or top five player in the league. I don't know. I don't know what else we could have done." I mean, if we had Jalen Brown, I think we would have had a fighting chance. Our big three versus their big three. I think we would have had a chance to, you know, potentially win uh, with those three going at it. But I didn't. I don't know. I don't know what we could have done. And it, it was just tough to see because we didn't. It looks like we just gave up second half. Like each game, the second half of the of each game, it looks like we just gave up. So I, <laughs> it didn't look like we put up effort, especially when people started getting injured. We had basically our bench unit running at, at the starting lineup sometimes. It was sad to see, but I think moving forward, I as, as you know now with Brad Stevens at the president of basketball operations, 
we might have to take a step back just because we need to find a new coach and a new GM, and then we have to implement a new scheme with the new coach along with the players have to get used to that new coach and his, and their scheme unless they find have some sort of Brad Stevens clone, which I don't think that could that's going to happen. There's no one on my radar that that's like a Brad Stevens clone that would be able to fit, fit smoothly into the players that are currently on the roster. It also potentially means, you know, I actually forgot to mention this when we were talking about the Brad Stevens stuff. Uh, he might, Brad Stevens might have like a list of people that he might say like, yeah, you need to go type of deal because he, he now has executive control on all that stuff, and my mic is now broken. I knocked it out of place. There we go. But yeah, he's he now has, he now has executive control of the of the franchise, so he could just start trading people right now if he really wanted to. Because we don't have a current GM, he might be take the GM role currently, as as a time being. He might start trading people. I don't know. Right as soon as the playoffs get finished, so we don't know who's going to be here next season. Hopefully, you know I. We're starting. To, a lot of Celtics fans are starting to say we need to trade Kemba, get off that contract, and maybe sign, re-sign another guy. Or, or you know, we obviously have to re-sign Tatum. And a lot of people are saying Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum are the only safe people on the roster. Debatable because I like Robert Williams and I think he can develop even farther. And you know, of course, we'll have to re-sign him. And hopefully, he doesn't ask for too much so we can like keep him under like twenty, like twenty and twenty-five mil. Keep him under that 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 salary uh, cap I put on him. And I think he'll be a really good center uh, for us, like you know, like a Mitch Rob type. And uh, yeah, obviously, I think he'll be better on offense than Mitch Rob. So we'll see. That's like my thoughts. Trading Kemba, maybe. Everyone else is pretty much expendable. Even the young guys, I like Aaron Neesmith and I like Peyton Pritchard. I hope they could stay. I would like them to stay because they played really well, and I think we can develop them even further if we find the right coach. But if we don't find the right coach, that's going to be a problem because I think I liked Brett Steven as if he was a coach, not as a GM or, or a manager type. So we'll we'll have to see who they hire and pray that it's somebody good enough for, you know, I guess Celtic standards. And, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I guess it's over. I guess it's over. I think now, you know, especially hopefully we'll have the full squad next week for the podcast and we can talk about – Especially with the Suns uh, and especially the Nets to see how the, the next games move on, how the next uh, set of games move on, and how how everyone's going to be placed after this uh, next round, uh, this first round is finished. But yeah, I think the next games I want to talk about now are the uh, are the Heat. I mean, there's no, wasn't much to talk about with the Celtics. I, I there, there's no words to put on it other than terrible defense. And Tatum tried. He scored fifty on game three, which of course is the reason why we won because he took over but I, I it was tough to see like everyone was shooting poorly actually you know what I want to continue on a little bit because this is I don't I mean I was gonna go on to the heat being eliminated by the uh, by the Bucks in four games but I, I wanted to mention one more thing is that Marcus Smart after Kemba went down took the lead score uh scoring guard role which is a terrible idea for Marcus Smart after seeing it then in this playoffs and also during the season when Kemba was injured Marcus Smart is not that type of scoring guard like he's a great complimentary guard like, he can still make his shots and stuff, but he also needs to have someone, like, another guard to take the pressure off of him so he's able to make those shots. He can't be the one making, like, fancy dribble moves, contested uh, mid-ranges and all that stuff like Kemba does. Leave that to Kemba. Let let Marcus Smart be on the perimeter and play defense. Do his thing. Yeah, that's the last thing I wanted to say because I had a little, th- a little Marcus Smart, like, anger seeing him at Game 4 and Game 5 shoot terribly, and it was just, why? Why? Why was that? Why did he do that? Anyway, let's go to the Heat game, uh, the Heat uh, Heat series. Uh, they got eliminated in four by uh, by the Bucks, as I said earlier. Uh, my prediction was terrible because I had the Heat going in seven because I really had high hopes on this Heat team and Spolstra. 
I, I mean, I, I, you know, I guess I, even with the bubble being a fluke, I thought Spolstra was a great coach, and he coached that team well in the bubble. So I really d- thought he would do really well. Uh, he would do well in this playoffs as well, but I guess he didn't. Quick water break. Anyway, my prediction came went wrong. I mean, it didn't help. I mean, I thought Spolstra would be able to game plan around, you know, adding J- Drew Holiday to the team, which I think he did all right game planning around uh, Drew Holiday. You know, he didn't do the greatest job, but I think, you know, I think limiting uh, Drew Holiday was good. Uh, I think he did all right. I mean, Drew Holiday, still an amazing player, so I, you can't, don't give him, don't hate on him or don't, not, not hate on him, but don't, don't count him out as, as a really good uh, guard for the for the uh, Bucks, especially how he played this year, and especially Budenhoser. That's the one thing I realized. Budenhoser stepped up this year and actually made a really good game plan for the Bucks. That wasn't, you know, create a wall around the around the around the paint and pray that they don't shoot perimeter shots. He actually plays made some really good defensive schemes that really helped push the Bucks over the over the over the hump of being this terrible defensive uh, schemed team, uh, having terrible defensive schemes and having a one-minded offense through Giannis. Speaking of offense, I'm going to jump around a lot because there's a lot to talk about offensively. Why offensive wise, Chris Middleton Chris Middleton stepped up. In an amazing way for the Heat, he able he was able to score. I think he averaged about twenty points this this whole uh, uh, series, uh, four game series, and that's good for him because it, that means he can get some uh, get some pressure off Giannis and be able to be that secondary score. You know, be that I guess if you want to bring it back to the Nets, he can be that hardened to that to the KD uh, for the Bucks and be able to help Giannis. Uh, get some pressure off him and also be able to be that reliable scoring threat. If Giannis is not able to find offense, you can give it off to, you know, Drew Holiday to find some, be a playmaker and give it off to uh, Middleton or some other players, you know, like uh, I'm going to talk about later, Brent Forbes or Brian Forbes and uh, Bobby Portis, which really played, which played really well off the bench. Not to mention Brooke Lopez was a little shoddy in the beginning of the series, but he really stepped up and played, played really good defense in the second half of the series against Bam Adebayo, which was my my actually uh, my thought would have been that Bam Adebayo was stepped up and dominated in this series, but he didn't because Brook Lopez was there to stop him on offense and on defense. He tried his best, but Giannis is still unstoppable. And then having Chris Middleton to throw to, if he's if he's having trouble, you could see what what happened. It was a terrible uh, terrible series. And uh, speaking of Brent Forbes and uh, Bobby Portis, Brent Forbes averaged 15 points this whole. Uh, four game stretch not to mention he averaged uh three rebounds uh, i mean that's really it but he averaged 15 points and that he really stepped up on the bench when uh the heat team really didn't have much to go off of because tyler hero was spotty and all the guards were spotty because again my mentality yeah, yeah, of tyler hero was terrible uh he was averaging less than 10 points a game and he was supposed to be that scorer off the bench for the heat and that also brings me to another point uh well, let me finish with Brian Forbes and Bob Forbes, and then we'll get to the Heat. Let's let's not let's not stray away too far from the from the uh, the current topic. But let's go to Bra- uh, Bobby Porter scoring ten points, being that amazing uh, center off the bench for the for the uh, for the Bucks, while you know Brook Lopez was getting a re- getting his rest and being able to get back in the game fully. Uh, f- um, I guess catching his breath and being able to get fully energized to to face down Bam Adebayo and anyone who drove in the paint. And again, this this heat, this Bucks team, you know, after watching this series, gives me confidence that they can make a good run this year. If they don't face the Sixers, I'm taking a lot of a lot of breaks when I'm trying to speak. But yeah, 
uh, when they if they don't have to face the Sixers because I think the Sixers uh, this year are a bigger threat than the Bucks, and I think that'll be a good fought uh, game if it's if it's Bucks versus Sixers. We'll see how that series goes if it does come to that. I don't see anyone else seriously contending with those two teams. Other than I mean, other than the Nets, obviously. I, I'm just putting the Nets in a different bubble right now. I think they're going to make the Eastern Conference or the Eastern Conference Finals guaranteed. I think one of those teams, one's actually wait, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Bucks will have to face the Nets, and Sixers will have to face probably the Hawks. They're probably going to win tonight, and that's a that's an interesting combo. Actually, why did I even talk about uh, Sixers versus Bucks? Because that means the Bucks would have to beat the Nets, and with the Nets, how well they played this series. I don't know how the Bucks are going to fare against the Nets. It could be a seven-game series. We'll go into our predictions next for for the round two uh, of the playoffs next week when all the rest of the game one uh, game one or the round one games finish. So we'll see how that goes uh, with all those all those teams just finishing up their series. Uh, I I think first thoughts. I think the Nets are going to win. Why did I say Sixers versus Bucks? I don't know, but I, the Nets are going to win in seven or six. That's kind of what I see. But the Bucks could seriously push the Nets far with how well they played today. But let's move on to the uh let's move on to the um to the heat. And I, I just keep remembering I'm looking at the screen up top of my camera, not the lens, which I should be looking at. Looking at y'all, not the damn screen. Anyway, let's move on to the heat. The guards did not pe- play well. That's the problem. And I think that's the key for every heat victory was the the four-guard tandem of Kendrick Nunn, Gordon Drogic, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson. If they all played well and played the perimeter, that they were unstoppable. If they're able to cash in on those threes that they're all able to make, and having Bam and Abayo down in the paint, down low, if needed to, you know, post up on somebody, that's a great, a great team. And plus, Jimmy is as a guy, he's a great leader and a great guy to have for like mentally and intangibles and everything. I always preach on tangibles. Jimmy has everything, untangible wise. You know, mental, killer mentality, leadership, pushing these young guys uh, forward. And I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like put give like put less on him now. Even with the loss to the Bucks, I think they just need to take a year, another year to develop these guys, and hopefully their timetables match up with Jimmy's uh, age and along with the young guys develop. Hold the young guy. Hopefully, the young guys develop fast enough so that. They can play well when Jimmy's still, you know, usable at his age, because I think Jimmy's about twenty. No, he's thirty something. He's, I can check his age right now. Thirty-one. So he has probably a couple more years, and hopefully those young guys can develop fast enough to play with Jimmy when he's still usable before he starts to fall off, assuming he falls off. Next thing I have to say about the <laughs> the Heat. I guess they really did miss uh, at least last year's Jay Crowder. I mean, this year's Jay Crowder is all right, but they missed last year's Jay Crowder. Having that another defensive guy, you know, who's really, you know, I guess a veteran and also really smart IQ guy uh, out in the perimeter, and also you can easily guard power forwards, small forwards, and shooting guards. Having those, I guess that middle area of you know guarding those th- those guys. Of course, he can guard centers if he really tried, but I wouldn't put it to him at the, at his age right now. But Trevor Reza is not a bad st- stand-in for him, but he's not the same as Jay Crowder was last year. So it it does suck to have to lose him. Dwayne Demon played really well. This I think he played really well. I'm not I'm not gonna say anything. 
Yeah, I mean, he played all right for what it was as a backup center, but I think it was funny enough. I think one game, one of those games, uh, Dwayne Denman popped off for so many points. And it, I remember, uh, I, and I, I always reference this YouTuber, Rusty Buckets. He said, like, if Dwayne Demons, uh, he was scoring so many, like, 20 plus points or whatever, and he was, like, the only one creating offense. And he said, if Dwayne Demons, the only person creating offense for you, what are you doing? Because he should not be the only person creating offense for you. And it's funny how he was, and that shows the Heat sometimes being stagnant on offense. You know, still you know trying to play the best on defense, but the Bucks just being crazy good on defense. Uh, still, it's it's sad. It's sad to see the Heat team go so fast and so quickly. Uh, I thought they were gonna go in seven. Like, they didn't go in seven, so that that really screwed my prediction. All of my predictions for this whole playoff uh, first round of playoffs is going down the drain because the. You know, it's funny enough. So yeah, the hot, I just got news that the uh, we got notifications while I was writing up the new show notes for today. But the Sixers advanced, of course, in five, which is what I thought, and the Hawks uh, moved on. So I thought the Knicks were going to win in like six or seven again. I was completely wrong. J- Trey Young just took over the series, and there was no even with Tom Thibodeau and all this all this whole defensive unit for the Knicks, they couldn't hold him. Again, my predictions are going to crap. I will talk about the Knicks and stuff later. But let's just wrap up the Heat. I don't know what they could have done. Again, I didn't watch too many of their games because it was so quick. And I wanted to watch some of the games later because I thought it was going to go to six, seven games. So I thought I was going to watch. Oh, maybe I'll watch one today or tomorrow. But it's over. Bucks completely swept him. And the Bucks look like a real threat to the Nets uh, in the second round. So that's how I'm going to close that. Uh, let's go over some quick uh, quick storylines in, uh, in the NBA playoffs. Um, one thing I actually want to talk about because we talked about it last week is that Mavericks Clippers Clippers won both their games in Dallas, so now they're now tied two two, which is uh, surprising because you know after last week all of us lost faith in the Clippers. Clippers decided to come back and put on a show uh, for everybody and be able to win those last two games. Let me pull up the stats from the last game real quick. So I can actually like look at, look at something while I'm talking about this. Nobody expected this. Both teams won their, won their games, you know, on the away court, which is surprising because, you know, you would think, you know, being the Clippers and having a staple center, you would have at least some, you know, have some fan. I guess you have some fans come up and be able to, you know, support their team and be able to make the crowd, you know, be, make the crowd affect the game, but I guess not. I guess they away crowd the the crowds the the crowds and the fans didn't do anything because they both won their games away on the away court. You know, one thing we we did criticize about uh Kawhi, I mean Kawhi played really I think Kawhi's at pretty played pretty well this whole series. I think his thing about PG not stepping up. He did step up uh I mean, he did step up for what it was. I mean, step up in like 15 points, and I guess in the game, game three, he scored 30. So he's on and off. I don't know. Like, hopefully, he can step up in the next few games because if the Clippers want to win, they they need their they need Paul George to step up. Also, not to mention, they're running a small ball lineup now with Nick Batum at center. I or Marcus actually, they're probably Marcus Morris at center. I don't know how I feel about that, but they, whatever works, whatever whatever gets in the wins. Uh, recently with the small ball lineup. We'll see how that affairs. Again, Luka, top five player in the NBA. I'm surprised they didn't win. But again, we talked about it last week. I'm going to talk about it again. There's something on my on my camera lens. All right. I don't know what that is. 
That's weird. Anyway, point being, uh, we talked about uh, Tim Hardaway being the X factor. Let's, let's, for example, game four, he only scored four points. He was one for eight. Explains a lot because we had Tim. I mean, I had Tim Hardaway as the X factor, so I was hoping he would score, do really well. Let's see. He and then he had twelve points. Of course, he was four for 14, 12 points in game three. So that just proves my point because I didn't really look at these. I'm going to go free flowing on these little quick stories around the NBA. Um, there is not. I mean, he's the X factor. I'm not. I don't. I I don't know what to say. Again, okay. What am I going to? My words, ah, oh crap. I'm trying to put this into words. With the X Factor not playing well, he's that's why he's the X Factor. And now he's not playing well. Clippers won. There we go. I can't put that into goddamn words. But point being, if the X Factor doesn't play well, like you know, he's supposed to be an X Factor. They lose. So let's hopefully Tim Hardaway can step up in Game Five, Game Six, and Game Seven if it comes to that. Pray it doesn't come to that. Oh, there's something on my lens. I think there's something on my lens. No, that's not a lens. All right. And we're back. And I'll probably have to cut that out. But, uh, <laughs> oh, my. But, yeah, that's, uh, again, we're going to go back to the X Factor part. He he has to play well. That's all I'm going to say. Let's move on to the next thing. Sixers won. Obviously. Obviously, that's going to happen. Joel Embiid stepped up. And he was in, actually, I think he was injured for part of the series. So, you know, Sixers still played well. Tobias Harris, I think, was the main guy on, on the Sixers team that played really well in his absence and also just playing well in general. And I think, surprisingly, Tobias Harris has played well this season compared to what he was in the previous seasons. That's all I'm going to say about it. Wizards, you put up a good fight. You won one game at home. That's all I could say. You know, get him next year. Wizards, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with this team with Russ. So, you know, hopefully the, the Wizards will come back with something in the next year. Uh, then, of course, the Hawks. Uh, the Hawks just won their game uh, against the Knicks, so they won in five. Uh, not, I'm very surprised. Actually, I'm, I was about to say I'm not surprised. No, I'm very surprised about this because I did not predict this uh, win at all because I had the Knicks in seven. Just because I thought, you know, again, I, I think about me, I put coaching on a pedestal and I love to put coaching as like one of the main reasons why a team will win. So I thought Tom Thibodeau with his, with his defensive uh, prowess would be able to lock down Trey young and also be able to uh, compensate for the other, other players, I guess, lack of speed or something like that. Maybe it's just finding a game plan that works to slow down or even stop Trey young. That didn't happen. I, I was surprised because I was, again, I watched a few of these games watching Trey young play is crazy. You know, he's doing a lot of less foul baiting, but he's still playing really well and distributing the ball amazingly. If that's even worse, but he's play, he's he's doing everything that the the Hawks need him to uh, need him to do to get these get these wins against the Knicks. And the Knicks, it's hard to find offense without Julius Randle. I've noticed because you know, of course, you have R.J. Barrett playing, you know, what he can. D. Rose playing what he can, but the rest of the team, you know, they're not amazing scores like they can't score 20 25 a night like some uh bench players can for the for other teams you know they can score 15 or something like that point being that the offense runs around like revolves around derrick rose and and julius randall which is a problem for the uh for the for the knicks and it, it could get worse <laughs> it, could, it could be worse but you know it looks like you know i'm happy that they made they were able to make the playoffs in the first time since 2012 it's amazing for them to be finally in the playoffs. 
but yeah, I mean, that's really it. I mean, I don't know what else to say other than Trey Young blew up this playoffs. You know, and LC had a really good supporting uh, cast of, you know, Daniil Gallinari, uh, Bogdanovich, Collins, Capella have all played really well this whole this whole series. So, you know, I guess the Hawks could make some noise or push the Sixers to, like, six games at most, I would say. We'll go into predictions later. But, yeah, congrats to the Hawks. They won. Congrats to the Sixers. They're going to play each other in the second round. We'll see how the uh, the uh, the Bucks Nets game uh, Nets series go because that's probably going to be the highlight series of, in the Eastern Conference for the next uh, for the next round. I mean, let's go to the West real quick. Grizzlies, Jazz. I guess I don't. Again, I don't. I don't, I don't know. The West is. I mean, I, they, I think the West is pretty predictable minus the the Clippers. Oh right, all right. That's the game I was going to talk about. I do remember what I'm talking about. The uh, oh yeah, Nuggets versus Blazers. What happened? <laughs> Double OT. Uh, uh, actually tonight, I think was it? No, it was last night. Double OT. Damian Lillard did all he could, but he's you know scored fifty five. Still couldn't bring this team over the hump. Twelve for seventeen for three. All these memes going around NBA Twitter saying like, can Damian Lillard still request a trade or whatever type of deal, and it's. It's hilarious to see that, you know, these fans are like, you know, Dame does not deserve this. He plays so well and deserves to play on a better team with a better supported cast to be able to bring him to at least the finals or something notable. But with the with the Portland Trailblazers, the best thing you're going to get is a second-round exit. It's sad to see because they have talent, but they're not as good. You know, Nurkic just came off his injury. And he's been playing terrible. Apparently, one stat line that someone threw out was um, – He's averaged five. He was like, I think he had 25 total uh, fouls this whole series. And he's averaging about five fouls per game, which is pretty bad. So he's been playing, I guess, worse than he was before the injury. McCollum's doing his best, but he's not a great two-piece like Chris Middleton, for example, when we're talking about him versus the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, Norman Powell trade, eh, what, I don't know if that even benefited the, the Blazers in this one. I don't know what would happen if they had Gary Trent. Uh, yeah, I mean, Carmelo Anthony did what he did. I, I, I uh, he's not what he used to be. I guess you know he averaged twelve points this ser- this series. I think the Nuggets. Of course, I had the Nuggets winning, so I, did, I, I'm not surprised. But still, I think the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets will be able to pull away a win in Portland tomorrow, or not tomorrow. I think Friday is their next game. Let me. I'm gonna actually double check that right now while I have the ESPN app. Yep. It'll be on tomorrow. Actually, interesting. They're playing a back to back. No, they're not playing back to back. They were. Uh, they're playing yesterday, so they're playing tomorrow in Portland. So I think they're gonna win in Game Six, and then the Nuggets move on. And you know, with all this stuff coming to close, I'm gonna just quickly uh, read off what the bracket's gonna look like in the next round, which we'll talk about next week extensively about our, our like what, how you know how the performances of each team went, and you know how who we think are going to win, of course, and, like, what about the teams that are eliminated? Like, what ha- what happens next for them? Yeah, I mean, so we have Philly Philly and Atlanta and on the top of the Eastern Conference semifinals, and then we have Brooklyn and Milwaukee, so Bucks versus Nets. And I think the – of course, I think Denver Denver's going to win. I think uh, – it's funny enough, I think the, the Suns are going to win. I had Suns in seven. And with the 80s injury, it might be Suns and six. I'm still gonna keep Suns and seven. I'm gonna keep keep good to my 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 quick change in my prediction. And uh, yeah, I think Suns and seven. 
And, of course, Denver in six. So, I mean, Denver versus uh, Phoenix. And then currently predict current predictions, I have Utah versus Dallas or, you know, the Mavericks. So, we'll see how that prediction lasts. You know, all my predictions have completely fallen apart. My first predictions, of course, my pre-playoff predictions have all fallen apart. So, we'll, of course, except for the one seed, well, one and eight seed game. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I guess I guess predictions are never always a good. You know, I never try to trust predictions. You know, I like to make them for fun. You know, to see if I get if I'm right. But I, you know, I'm ninety like eighty. I guess my I got like fifty fifty. No, I would say I'm seventy thirty wrong. I'm more wrong than right, just because predictions don't actually come true. You don't. There's so many factors that come into predictions: injuries, you know, coaching, uh, coaching mistakes. All this stuff could happen that could ruin your prediction. So don't put so much weight on predictions just watch the games and figure out what they did well and see what how you know how this uh series could potentially play out with the current data that you do have but yeah i mean that's it for the celtic side i don't have much else to talk about minus you know we did talk about the breaking news with rad stevens and danny age we talked about the uh, celtic skin eliminated we talked about the heat getting eliminated two big the big things i wanted to talk about were out of the way next week round two will start and i hope we'll see you all there next week so Peace.